mixed drink yes. kind of person that Tim Cook is, but I imagine so. He, ha- he has Travis come over to the bar and says, sends him out to get a switch so he can switch his butt. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 142 of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm Tim Mitra, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. So, first question I want to ask, though, is are we live, or are we pre-recorded, or are we, like, being replayed in the future sometime? You know, it's kind of a meta question, I realize. Who are you asking? You guys are speechless. You, you, lost, you lost me with that one, Tim. Yeah, I'm sorry, that went over my head. It was too deep for me. <laughs> All right. Okay. You'll, th- you'll think about it. It'll, it'll dawn on you in, in the future. So anyway, uh, Jaime, a couple of Ask MTJC links for us. Yes, we do. We have one from Kim Alberg, friend of the show, who says, um, given the affiliate cut to 2.5%, how likely are we to see Apple drop their App Store percentage to 15% across the board? And uh, I believe this is referencing the, the affiliate linking where you, you, know, you could sign up for like, hey, you're in movies and music and apps and you know, add my referral code. And uh, if I convince you to go to the App Store or you know, iTunes or wherever it is, using my code for some period of time afterwards, every purchase that you make through the store, uh, I get a little bit of a, a, you know, a little bit of coin on the side, a little bit of right, kickback, right? right? As, as somebody right. drawing, uh, driving revenue in their direction. And that went down from uh, something like seven, maybe seven and a half percent to down to merely 2.5%. And there's been a lot of consternation about this. Um, right, it looks right. like it didn't impact, I think, any of the media. It was all related to apps, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but have so, you guys ever made any money from that kind of stuff? Any any of these affiliate links? Honestly, I've not I've not invested in it, no. so I, I don't I don't yeah, really never, have like I, skin in the game. Yeah, I only I only know one person celebrity wise that would that, that I've seen a blip on his account, but like mine, nothing. You know, yeah. so a, a company I, I did some work for that had a large uh, user base did make money off of it, actually quite a bit. Right. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, the, okay, that's what he's talking about. So that, that affiliate link got, or affiliate thing got cut by 2.5%, right? Hmm. Right. So, so I'm sorry, so Apple's reducing the cut that the that Yeah, from the, 7 uh, to 2.5. Gets? Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, the referrer, the referrer. Yep. Right. And so people have been wondering, like, you know, there's a couple different reasons that are you know, hypothetically possible for this. It could be the positive one, which I think Kim is uh, referring to here, which is, oh, well, it, what if they're going to drop their 30% cut down to 15? Well, then it would kind of make sense that you would reduce the affiliate cut because if they're, you know, if, they're, if Apple's only taking 15 and they're going to give you, you know, 7.5 percentage points, that's kind of a lot, right? Um, that's one way. Uh, the other way is somebody uh, else is thinking, well, maybe they're just like, hmm, we're passing out this money for nothing. Why don't we just keep that money for ourselves? <laughs> That's certainly possible as well. I mean, I'm hopeful of a, a, a drop. Like if I, if I had to bet money, like if you just forced me to right now, I'd say, well, I, I think they'll, they'll drop their, their cut down to 15%. Like they've already really? dipped their toes in the water, given the way that the whole services or sorry, subscriptions things work, right? Like where after one year, their 30% cut drops down to 15%. Certainly seems reasonable that they could cut it down to 15% across the board. And I think everybody would be very happy about that. And I think this sort of cut, you know, a, a very negative cut to the affiliates, it's kind of nice to sort of 
quietly push that out there um, pre WWDC, so everybody you know can talk about it now, and we can be angry about it, and then we'll be so <laughs> excited come June when it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're we dropping can get the a cut third down 15%. ingredient on our pizzas. A third ingredient on our pizzas. That's what that's gonna mean, dude. That that gets you like the trio part of the meat trio. You know, yeah, <laughs> not just yeah. stuck there like an animal with two meats. You have three meats. <laughs> or pineapple with your ham. Mm-hmm. Mm, let's not go crazy there, man. It's only a, a, a cut of 15%. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, for our pizza money. Oh, well. Okay. And you have another, uh, hi, man, another uh, Ask MTJC link? We do. This one's from Alicia Ramirez uh, asking, when collecting app usage analytics, do you need a privacy policy? Do you need a lawyer to draft one? Have Ooh. you tried a generator? Please. To me, are all really good questions. Um, I've not been involved with that side of it, but um, again, we are not lawyers ourselves, so this is all for entertainment purposes only. Uh, <laughs> I would recommend, you know, on the safe side, having a lawyer do that sort of thing. There's just probably something you can get out of like LegalZoom.com or something, or um, other sort of pre-canned ones. Uh, of course, there's a very generic. If you need something for your own sort of specific needs, maybe something like a generator, you know, to, to sort right, of have right. something other than a blank sheet of paper when you go talk to said lawyer. Um, and I think you do need a privacy policy in general, just for the app store. Like they do require uh, that to be available. And I think the reviewers check it if it's an, at least a new app submission. I don't, I don't know if they go right, back and retroactively check existing apps. There's a, I think there's a link where um, you can use the Apple um, end, user, end user license agreement by default if you want, um, or unless you're crazy, you can go out and create your own. It's kind of like creating a, was a security algorithm we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. But um, by the way, Alicia's in um, Winnipeg, Manitoba, so Canadian laws apply here, I think. I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. Um, there's also the, the sort of uh, the, I think one of my apps I put in the uh, sort of a, a software developer disclaimer that, you know, I'm not use this at your own risk, kind of uh, one of those clauses, right? Um, it's kind of a, sti- a mm-hmm. sticky thing. And, but for, for as far as analytics goes, I mean, the apps that I've been involved in, generally speaking, are using things like Google Analytics and Facebook. Facebook, yeah, that's what it's called, um, to cat to to sort of track, you know, who's doing what to whom, and and I think that those services would have their own um, policies as well. And I do know with Google one, with the Google one, and I'm not sure if it's still in effect, but when we first started putting it in, we had to add a setting into the settings bundle to allow people to opt out of being having analytics collected for Google Analytics. So uh, interesting one, yeah. These, mm-hmm. these I often wonder about, you know, it's a good question about, you know, where does uh, as developers, as publishers of apps, where do where's what's our legal responsibility? You know, with uh, with what we're putting out there and what we're collecting, and everybody goes quiet. Crickets. Oh, sorry. I thought that was a good way to to end it. I, yeah, I didn't think I had anything else to add. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no worries. Everybody runs to the hills and hides their head <laughs> in the sand. All right, let's move on. And I don't know if this Apple versus Apple Uber. Uh, Apple basically, the, the gist of it is basically Apple allowed Uber to stay on the store in spite of the fact that they were breaking r- developer rules that we we're all expected to adhere to. I don't know if you saw that. It's I guess it was like a, it was a year ago actually that I, Uber got mm-hmm. called out for using for breaking all these rules. Yeah, it's kind of Other old, old we, news at this point, right? Is it? I don't know. It's, I think this this story had just come out like a couple of, a week ago or two, right? You mean like an old in, in terms of that? It's even that old or? Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. We can talk about it if you want, but for me, it was just like, okay, I read it. Um, yeah, it's one more thing Uber was doing that wasn't okay. so good, but, you know. Okay. 
it's right. kind of kind of right. done. It did tell me a lot though. Like uh, it, it it gave us a little bit of insight in that one Apple's automated tools, whatever they have that scans the apps, is not right. good enough to catch this particular technique. Type of uh, behavior, yeah. And two, um, at least until very recently, it sounds like Apple had app review heavily concentrated in Cupertino. Whereas given the way they've reacted to some things, I was like, oh, clearly they've got folks overseas, probably in India or like Vietnam or something doing some of this review. Uh, And apparently that's not the case. Otherwise, how could Uber possibly have always been in Cupertino? Like, you know, assuming there's like some load balancing between United States and other areas. So it sounds like right. like those are people that are actually in Cupertino itself. They're not in San Francisco. They're not in San Jose. They're not anywhere else. Like they're literally like in that geographic area, like a very small geographic area. Right, right, hmm. right. And this this had to do with the fact that they were tracking people who were using or were trying to break work around their own their own policies. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it was people trying to scam them. They were trying to like really identify devices so that people weren't scamming them with, um, what was it like the, like the driver rewards of some sort, like sign people right, up yeah, or, or yeah, do your first yeah. ride or something, get a reward. Yeah. So they oh, had, that kind of thing. they mm-hmm. had reasonable business reasons, but wow, was it slimy the way they approached it? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Right, <laughs> but, but right in line with uh, the other stuff that Uber does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah well, it well, just comes Yeah. And you know, it, it we've, not talked for a long time about uh, the other app store thing, but like if you or I, or heck, you know, even a, a, a somewhat well-known company like Omni was to try this, like they'd be immediately out of the store. Right. Right. Like, right. Yeah. It's like sucks to be you. Um, in this case, Uber is such a large uh, part of the value proposition that, uh, you know, an app store that doesn't have Uber is a broken app store as far as right, customers right. are concerned, where they kind of had to, you know, lay down the law, but they couldn't do it you know, too much. Otherwise they'd be hurting themselves. Yeah. I was kind of thinking about that because it's it's a, it's a free app that they, they make money through sales, but they're not necessarily in app purchases. So Apple's Apple's need to have Uber on the app store is one. One is because people would go to different devices if they didn't have Uber on the store period. Right. That's what you just said. And mm-hmm. secondly, it probably helps to sell phones too, right? Because the, every driver has to be. Like, when Uber first started here, I used to talk to the driver. The, I used to drive in ta- taxis. I've never, I've never been a big fan of UberX myself. Um, I've used it a few times in the states, and I subsequently canceled my account. But when I was using Uber here, I was using it for taxis who weren't getting calls from dispatchers, which is what I thought the altruistic reason for Uber existing in the first place was. Because um, you know, dispatchers kind of play favorites, and everybody knows that in the taxi industry, but. Um, but the drivers would tell me that they were they didn't have to buy the phone. They were actually given the phone by Uber. So, you know, if for, you know, I, I don't know if that, that adds up to millions of sales for Apple, but, you know. Why, I mean, if they're giving them Apple? phones, they're, they're not buying iPhones unless Canada is no, no, for the United saying, States. Like, they've the always they, been uh, Android phones for Uber or Lyft. Really? Okay. Well, no, they. Yeah, were, they I, I were, never uh, see. I never see the 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 drivers like maybe their personal phone, but the phone that they're using for navigation and to handle the accepting of a ride. I've never seen an iPhone in any other. Really? Okay. Companies. Well, that's really? what I'm saying. When I, and it may have been a that may have been when may, my experience may have been when they first started doing. Because it's probably like I'm thinking like 2015, 2016. Uh, well, no, not 2016. So 2013, 2014, 2015 would have been about the time that I was using it. And, and they were all iPhones. I always I take think... the cheapest route, too. I don't do, like, the black car or anything fancy. It's always, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the cheap, like, literally the cheapest possible option. So maybe that's where I've tended to see, uh, 
you know, they're like Ford Focuses and, and Priuses and stuff. Uh, nothing too fancy. Yeah, well, like I said, I got rid of my Uber account because of I didn't like their policies and I didn't like their employment policies. I didn't like their practices and I didn't like the way they were doing surge pricing and stuff like that. I just thought, you know what, I, I this is not. I'd rather take a cab and pay somebody a decent living for that, right? Yeah. yeah Even yeah. though I've had relatives it's, who drive Uber, it's really too bad because I I used to use Uber all the time when I was traveling a lot and I and I loved it and I thought it was a great service and uh, just. I mean, the the compared to a cab, it's just night and day. I mean, I I won't take a cab unless I have no other possible option because at least around okay. here they're so crappy. Um, yeah, know, they're, yeah, they're dirty and smelly and falling apart, and you know it's it's you know not safe a lot of times. So yeah, mm-hmm. so I would always at the time I would always take an Uber if it was possible. But you know, I, I agree that there you know there's a lot of slimy stuff going on, and it's really kind of unfortunate. I'm sort of torn. I haven't deleted my account yet, but I haven't used it with anywhere near the frequency that I used to. I think that, right, well, was, that was a pick of mine, too, at one point, early Uber, on. Uber, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, it is funny. a wonderful product, like the product itself, yeah. right? Like, if you the disregard concept, everything yeah. else, like, just the work that they have produced, it's fantastic. It's it's like running water, right? Like, I, I don't think about the fact that I turn on the faucet and water comes out. Of course it does, right? right. It's everywhere. Right. And Lyft is good, too, but it's just not quite there because it's not as... Uh, available, there aren't as many drivers, so it's not you know it's not uh, guarantee that there'll be somebody there within a minute or two. Uh, and it's, you know, it, I might use them more if they were bigger, but I guess it's a little bit of a you know catch twenty two, right? They won't get bigger unless I use them, but I won't use them because they're, yeah. they're not bigger. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's just about cabs here in Toronto. I don't know, maybe it's a different different world, as it were. But our cabs are are generally clean and and well kept. I mean, um, yeah. So I mean, there. I mean, there's still vinyl seats and all that kind of stuff. To be, let's not be, you know, they're not like luxury sedans. I mean, the black cars are obviously, but yeah. No, the the cabs here are, are fairly decent. If you're, you know, if you need to catch a ride and you know you got you got ten bucks to spend or twenty bucks to spend, you know. Um, it's a, it's a decent option. And that's what I was sort of saying. Like I was, when Uber first came into Canada, we didn't have Uber. It was before Uber X. So I don't know whenever people can write in and tell us, use Ask MGJC and tell us when Uber X started. But that's about the time that I was using Uber was back when it was either a cab or a black car. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and like I said, our, I, I, I mean, I don't know what it's like in, in, um, in the United States, but here in Toronto, um, uh, you need a mortgage to get a taxi license. Like they're like $250,000 or something like that. And, you know, and then, so people buy them, they buy taxis and then they let, you know, they, they hire other guys to drive the cars or whatever. But yeah, you know, it's, it's like buying a house to get a Toronto license for a cab here. So I don't know what it's like then in the States, if you guys know. I, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if it's quite that expensive, but it's pretty expensive around here at least. Right, and the medallion medallion system is limited in number as well, yeah. so uh, right. there's yeah. a premium yeah. for them. Yeah, I think that's why they're expensive. That's why Uber has done so well because that's just a completely flawed business model. It's a, yeah, it's a monopoly yeah. system yeah. that you know it's 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 making our prices higher to use the service, and it's just bad. <laughs> Crazy, Crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. right. That's for those of you driving at home. Yeah. Yep. So the the one thing here, uh, coming back to uh, this Uber breaking the rules article, and then eventually they talk about uh, a discussion between Tim Cook and I forget the CEO's name of Uber. It's like Tim. Uh, I don't not even going to pretend to remember his name. I've, I've certainly seen it a lot, but I can't remember it at this moment. Um, Travis having a discussion. Calanick. Travis. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And, and, and they sort of uh, describe Tim Cook um, saying, "Oh, I guess you've been breaking some more laws or, or rules," is what I've heard. And and I feel like there was a missed opportunity there for some of the flavor there because 
how I filled in the flavor in my head as to how this went down is, you know, we've talked about on this very show about the Apple Park and then they have their whole new campus. And critically, there is a small barn there on the campus. And I envisioned, <laughs> right, right. right. We talked about the fact, oh, maybe Tim Cook goes out there, you know, he wants to take a breather. He doesn't want anybody yeah, right. talking to him, no electronics. Just go out there, enjoy the barn. You know, this is a Southern guy. I'm, maybe this is the sort of thing he grew up with. Um, Imagine him out there, he's waiting, you know, he's got himself like a mint julep, he's just kind of there fanning himself because it's kind of hot, you know, it's a barn and it's summertime and and then things go forth from there. That's how I imagine. And if it's not a mint julep, it's probably like a mojito. I don't know what kind of, uh, you know, mixed drink yes. kind of person that Tim Cook is, but I imagine. So he, ha- he has Travis come over to the barn and says, sends him out to get a switch so he can switch his butt, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You make make them go get them the uh, object, the instrument right. of their own punishment <laughs> themselves, right? Just to, right, just to make right. it really clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. All right, so I posted a link here uh, from The Verge, basically saying, you'll know Apple has blown it when they have to make a fingerprint dongle. And that's referring to Mark's uh, bit of news to me a, a couple of weeks ago that Apple was having trouble delivering uh, Touch ID under the supposed full screen experience of the iPhone 8 or whatever they're going to call it. Um, and that's delaying delivery of things. So, Well, that was a rumor as of a couple of weeks ago, and I've seen that rumor evolve into they're going to put the the Touch ID on the backside of the phone. Right, right. Uh, but then I have saw a lot of people saying that, well, that will never happen, and that's that means that Apple is pretty much done if they do that. Uh, maybe that's an exaggeration, right, right. but, hmm. but uh, it, it is a pretty bad sign if they get to that point. So... So it looks like that probably won't happen. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 it would be hard to believe that they'd go to a dongle at this point. And it would be hard to believe that they wouldn't figure out some solution, even if they have to delay the phone for a month. Uh, I, I, just, I just can't see it happening any other way than, than moving forward. A step back at this point would be just a mess. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it's 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 funny though. I, I, what I understand here is so we have the the single piece of glass experience with the iPhone Seven now, right? I mean, isn't isn't the the home button? It's part of like you're you're getting haptic feedback when you're clicking the button. It's not actually a physical button, right? And it's got a Touch ID sensor, so I don't. I'm confused as to why this is. But it's not in the actual display part of the of the phone. Oh, okay. Oh, it's in the display. Okay, right. The the idea is that that whole bottom part of kind of wasted space at the at the bottom of the phone would just go away and the display would go right. all the way to the bottom with just there being where the home button is now there would just be a part of the display that you know looks kind of like a home bot- home button that can be customized and and presumably it could be something like the that you know a touch uh, uh what's it called not a touchpad that what's the thing at the top of the MacBook touch bar. pro touch bar yeah yeah presumably you could customize it for your app in some way or some, something like that yeah, I was going to say because if it goes all the way, to, if, if like if the the tab bar goes to the bottom of the screen for people's apps, mm-hmm. you know, people mm-hmm. who have those path type menus, you know, where they've got the single pop up um, menu thing would be uh, would be awkward. I don't know. I, I, I don't get it. I don't. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, we're talking about three quarters of an inch of of pl- um, glass or plastic or whatever. Where we seem to be wasting. I'm doing our quotes, but um, I, I don't want to see that as a big deal. You know, it's better than so. At the bottom of this article, which is interesting, they talk about some of the other sort of things that Apple's fallen flat on their face about, and like the plugging in the chart, the USB cable, lightning cable, I guess it is, for the Magic Mouse, where you have to flip the mouse upside down, plug oh, yeah. it, which means yeah. you can't even use it, right? Yep. Um, 
other things like the removal of the headphone jack they talk they talk about here the the touch bar having questionable value people are still i saw a tweet last week by a good friend of mine saying that he was totally unimpressed with the touch bar as it wasted waste of time um something here about iphone broke the apple's tiktok pattern of thoroughly refreshing its hardware every two years oh i guess that's right um did they, were they late with the iphone 7 i can't remember no it was not late but i, I think their point is that the the 7 and the 7 plus are essentially another s model of of the s model if that makes sense right they're not they don't look radically different as it's gone you know four you know four s looks kind of the same five looks different six looks different the other one the other one was apple's failed effort to bring sapphire glass to the iphone we talked about that last year um they quit making monitors which aaron got really upset about and uh because they went with lg instead of building their own one and something about being defeated by a router by a router they've also abandoned routers you know they're not producing the uh, base stations anymore and when it seems to be the the mesh routers are taken over and smart homes are all over the place right um amazon's kicking and, and google are kicking their butt on siri-based services or voice-based services home kits not i mean i could go on and on magsafe being killed off you know blah 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 so why don't you throw in on some of those i mean yeah let me do the quick hit so uh so starting at the top here, the, the rendering they have here on this article that's uh, linked in the show notes for those of you driving at home is hilarious. Like, uh, I think it's really well done. Um, I don't think that will actually happen. Uh, I do think, you know, if push came to, uh, to shove, the sensor will be somewhere. Could be on the front, could be on the back. I don't know. I haven't seen the design. I don't have any information, but I, I will stand right here and guarantee you there will be Touch ID somehow in the phone. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, current, current rumors say, like, well, maybe... Uh, maybe this phone might be delayed by a month or two. Okay, possible. I mean, the AirPods weren't immediately available. And for most people, unless you order within the first 20 minutes, you're going to be waiting months anyway. So right, right. it's about the same to me. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be up, you know, you know, real early that night trying to order it frantically like everybody else. So uh, sure, why not? Um, let me see if I can do the quick hits on some of this thing. So as somebody who has one of the uh, magic mice that requires the turtle style, turning it over oh, and man. plug it in sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll argue, like, I understand why they made that design decision. Because if they made the alternative decision, let's say they made the the port for the lightning uh, connector to charge it in the front. Like, what I'm calling the front is, like, if it's a car, like, where your headlights would be, right? Right, yeah. Um, if they put it there, people would never disconnect the darn thing. Or at least not to the the level that Apple is clearly, in my mind, designing for. Like, they want this to be a truly wireless experience, and here you are ruining it with a stupid wire because you're, right, like, right. worried that you won't be topped off at 100% every five minutes. Um, so I understand. I, I don't... I don't think it's a great compromise. It would be nice if they had the uh, like a, a charging pad or something you could leave it under. That'd be a much more elegant solution. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I understand, even if I don't completely agree with it. Uh, the can't innovate uh, Mac Pro thing, like that is true. Like they they full on missed on that one in terms of not realizing that they were going to paint themselves into a corner. The industry technology wise didn't go to the direction they thought. I agree with that one. Mm-hmm. Headphone jack has not been a big issue for me. Um, I prefer my Bluetooth wireless headphones. Uh, they're not fancy pants uh, AirPods, so even with the reduced user experience, it still works pretty well for me. Um, and I have the free uh, Lightning port um, headphones that they gave me, and I use those on rare occasion. Um, I'm also, uh, I'll point out, just to caveat myself here, I also am a Plus user, so I have uh, battery life for days, uh, almost literally. So maybe I'm, I'm, hmm. I'm kind of spoiled in that respect. Uh, your mileage may vary if you're a 7 user. Or a 6 Plus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, touch bar, I, I can't really speak to that because I don't have a new Mac Pro 
uh, MacBook Pro, um, I, I would say it's not transformative from what I can tell. It's not lit the industry on fire, but it doesn't seem like it's a failure either. It's not like, oh no, like this is a terrible idea. Uh, it seems like a reasonable sort of thing. Uh, I'll chime in on that one. I've, I've been using oh. a, a MacBook Pro with a uh, with a touch bar, and I should say I've been using the MacBook Pro, and I never touch the touch bar. <laughs> I accidentally touch it all the time, send emails, and oh, lock yeah. my computer, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oops. The only so, time, so so the only time I ever even think about the fact that this computer has a touch bar is when somebody walks by and says, oh, is this one of those new computers with the touch bar? And I say, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can do this with it. And, do, and I do something. Yep. I turn up the volume or something like that. I don't even use it for touch ID. Uh, I, I, just, really? I mm. just type in my password. I don't even think about it. Oh, no. Touch ID on the MacBook Pro is the best thing since sliced bread. I think I said that really? already, but there you go. Yep. <clears throat> I love Touch ID on the, well, the Mac. Again, so I have a Bluetooth keyboard that I use in front that I keep in front of, right, the, right, right. of the of the of the laptop. So the laptop laptop's got to push back underneath the monitor. So I have the two right. screens that are kind of almost flush with each other because the monitor is up on a on a little shelf. So uh, yeah, I kind of never reach over to the laptop keyboard even at all. So never mind the touchpad. So I, I, the touch bar, I mean, yes. So I, so I am, I am uh, skeptical of, about it myself. So, but for you, so for you, Mark, is it neutral or negative? It sounds like it's not positive. It's not positive, but it's it's completely neutral. Okay, good. Tim, Tim, is it is it neutral for you? Like, uh, it sounds like you do accidentally hit stuff. That's that's rather undesirable. But but the the pros outweigh the cons. Occasionally, I remember use it. I I, I really don't like the um, you know if I'm in a keynote presentation, the escape button becomes exit and that kind of stuff. And I've customized my touch bar because like in mail, I can I, you can accidentally the the send button sits right between the two and the three key on the keyboard. And I'm a I'm not a touch typer, so I'm a bit sloppy, and I'll often send an email before I'm finished composing it. So I had to customize the, the, the button to get rid of that. Uh, the other thing, too, is that at, we have a policy at our at our workplace where you can't, you're not supposed to leave your computer unlocked when you walk away from your desk. And so I customized my, um, my uh, Finder keyboard or touch bar to have a lock icon there instead of the search. So I just basically tap it and walk away, right, kind of thing. So, but, and, and again, the... The, I'm a big 1Password user, and 1Password has added support for Touch ID on the Mac app. So mm-hmm. now every time, you know, anytime I want to make a keychain key adjustment or need any kind of uh, authentication to do something on my Mac, moving an application around or whatever, deleting something, or even using 1Password, um, I just have to put my fi- put any one of my fingers that I've got stored on the device. And, and uh, yeah, it's Saves, saves tons of time. Just that alone. If they only had put Touch ID on on the the Mac, it would have been a godsend. Mm. But yeah, the touch. The the other thing with the uh, the emo- you know you can see the emojis and marks right. You can you can hit the slider and adjust the volume, which is kind of nice. It's it's a bit better than hitting the old keyboard buttons. Like like I'm looking at a extended keyboard right now in front of me. But um, yeah, some some things on it are nice. But yeah, it's it's not you know other than Touch ID, it's not really set my world on fire. So. Okay, cool. Uh, let's see here. Going down the line, uh, quit making monitors. That's true. That, I think that was a bad idea, um, letting LG sort of define their, their experience. I think when they talked about the Mac Pro news, I think they are getting back into a display. I think they, they specifically mentioned something like that. Um, I could right. be wrong. I could be remembering incorrectly. Yeah, uh, I thought it see. was just a stopgap myself, to be honest with you. I couldn't because they never really made their own monitors anyway. They always third-partied them, right? So I mean, it's also the sort of well, thing. displays at least. Yeah, oh, yeah and it's the sort of thing they can they can jump back into when they want to, right? I mean, it will, it's not that like you can do it from one day to the next, but 
it's not as if, oh, well, they, they forever lost. Like, well, they could always buy a monitor company and start <laughs> making them again, right? I mean, they have tons of money. Yeah. Uh, abandoned we riders. $260 billion, I think, right? Yeah, something something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, say, I, I do have one of those LG monitors, and they're pretty nice. It's a really beautiful display. So I'm, I guess I would say I'm positive on that. Mm. Yeah, and in that case, it was a uh, beautiful display. I don't think anybody had uh, issues with that. It was um, that if you put it like right next to a router, uh, it could cause interference, and they, they ended up doing right, like, some right. sort of recall and, and right, like adding right. a metal plate to shield. I get that. It, you know, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I think new ones uh, are already have that plate pre-installed, so you should be okay. Um, uh, abandoned routers, as long as we're talking about routers at a time when a new breed of mesh routers and smartphones are making the category interesting again. I'm going disag- to disagree with that. I don't think routers are interesting again. Uh, I hear about it on stuff like The Verge and TechCrunch, but I don't see anybody getting yeah. excited and, and lighting up to buy a new router. Yep. Well, you're probably yeah. using them when they came yeah. with like your cable provider, for heaven's sakes. Yep. No, no, not in Canada. No. I'm not saying you should. <laughs> I'm not saying it differs. It doesn't differ in other places, but there's probably some default, right? It's like, oh, oh we didn't get that. Well, let's go to... Uh, I don't know what you guys have Best Buy there. Uh, Tim Hortons. Let's go to Tim Hortons and get the, uh, the Timmy's Buy brand here, yes. Wi-Fi router. Yeah, D-Link and Linksys and stuff. Um, Wait, Tim Hortons yeah, but don't we have No. No, I have no idea. I was thinking a shot in the dark about it. They will soon, but the, 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 don't they sell, don't they, uh, isn't 802.11n, isn't that, or is it AB, the, the faster spec? AC oh, is AC. the latest one. AC. Yeah. So yep. so the Apple base station has that, but the, the, the uh, router supplied to me by Bell um, doesn't have that, so... That's the reason why I would use that. But you can still probably buy one from D-Link or Linksys or something for, you know, 30 bucks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where I'm, like, thinking it's not really, like, an interesting thing. (laughs) You know? I mean, I I find it as interesting as, like, a lamp. You know? I I need a lamp. I might buy a nice one that looks nice, but I'm like, holy smokes, I'm going to wait all night so I can pre-order this lamp. It's not going to (laughs) happen. Not not interesting to me, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Next one about... uh, the Siri and, and the whole voice assistant thing. I do believe they are behind in this area in terms mm-hmm. of like the full user experience. I do also think it's pretty early on. Uh, so I think they can catch up there. And I heard somebody say the other day that Apple leads from behind, <laughs> right? Which is true. They, they kind of mm-hmm. let other people come up with a new tech and then they, they polish it off and put an Apple logo on it and we all buy it. True. True. Yeah. And, people and there have been is complaining a, about that for years with Apple. True. Leading from behind. Yeah. Yep. Sure. And there is a recent rumor that they're going to make some sort of uh, Siri speaker, canister, whatever you call it, that's a competitor to the Echo and the Google Home. Um, seems plausible to me. I don't know if it's going to happen, um, but it seems plausible. And that segues right into the HomeKit devices, which I think would become more prevalent if they were to make such a uh, voice-controlled assistant. It would seem like a natural thing to really push the partnerships with uh, various HomeKit devices. Uh, they are mm-hmm. more expensive, as we've talked about in this show, when we talked about uh, the Internet of Things and stuff getting hacked because people didn't spend the extra 50 cents for security. Um, mm-hmm. I've never heard of a HomeKit device getting hacked because Apple does have this much more rigorous and therefore more expensive uh, certification process. Right. So, right, right. yeah, trade-offs there. Uh, MagSafe, I, this doesn't affect me because I have a, an old MacBook Pro, but it, it is kind of a bummer that there's no MagSafe um, adapter uh, you know, out of the box. For, for there is stuff. a third party one though. I've seen I've seen a third party USB C one that somebody created. Sure, sure. But it, it's kind of a bummer that there's like the industry filling in for what seems to be like a desirable thing of you know, I don't want somebody accidentally kicking my Well my if you have a large hundred pound dog you'd think about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh what is it? They're double dipping on this one. They're complaining about the magic mouse charging position again. Um, I'm not even going to address the other <laughs> ones. They're, they're, they're much smaller ones. 
Um, I don't know. I think we've solved all of the problems there or, 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 yeah, or debunked yeah. all of all the stuff, <laughs> all the complaints and added yep. some of my own. Yep. Hmm. Well, like I said, if it's shiny, it's got an apple on it. I'm probably going to buy it. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like that Same old uh, onion report, right? All right. So, uh, another story that I posted up here, uh, actually friend of the show, Fawad, um, uh, sent this to me on, on our Slack channel about an Oregon man who had been fined for using, for writing in an email that he is an engineer. And the story is, and he was interviewed on CBC this evening, so I've got a bit more information to add than what's in this uh, linked uh, article. But apparently his wife got fined for uh, running a red light. And what happened, what he did was he, he went and he is an engineer. He's been trained as an engineer and he's got an engineering degree, degree from Switzerland, I believe. And he, uh, his wife, so he, he did, he went and got some, some spec from 1959 where they had come up with the idea of what the proper spec for a yellow light in a, in a, in a stoplight would be. And he did some calculations and he figured out that, in fact, this was originally designed for people going through straight through an intersection with the yellow light, but when he's turning left or right, he calculated there wasn't enough time for people to, from a dead stop, make a left-hand turn on a yellow light. Uh, so he sent a letter to the, the traffic people or the transit people um, <clears throat> in in or in his state of Oregon, and he got f- rather than them addressing his concern, which he'd sent all the you know lines and diagrams and eight by ten glossy photographs and stuff like that. They with circles and arrows. Yeah, with circles and arrows on the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you for filling that. I forgot the line. Yep. But they <laughs> they. Um, they find him for for claiming to be an engineer, and and there he on the CBC interview tonight he he uh, specified that what it was is in Oregon if you do math and use algorithms to figure out traffic conditions you're pretending to be or you're you're accused of being a traffic engineer. He's actually an, an I think he's an electrical engineer from from Sweden. He said, but that's what the fine was for for pretending to be an engineer. Just you know, it's, it's follow up to our our you can't say you're an engineer in Canada or in Ontario anyway unless you. You are a member of the Ontario Professional Engineer Association, but uh, just an interesting story. Had you guys heard about this one, or no, no? Well, Oregon yeah, this... is kind of close to Canada, right? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah, Washington, yes. Washington State being uh, in between, and, and it did yeah, right, make some play here because of you know the Pacific Northwest uh, connection. Um, I mean, now, so now Jaime, I believe you you are actually doing some work in Oregon these days. Are you a registered engineer? Yeah, I was going to I'm not a registered engineer, <laughs> and I guess uh, when I go visit the headquarters, I have to stop claiming myself to be an iOS Ooh, engineer, which right. I or think just, is actually in my job title. Like, I think it's actually in the job offer letter, and I have to look it up. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But um, so I don't <laughs> This is a weird one. So, uh, so Tim, you'd made the, the statement that, like, you know, he is an engineer. It's like, well, it kind of depends on perspective, right? So it might be true that he is an engineer... In, where did you say Sweden, Switzerland? Yeah, he's an uh, yeah, electrical engineer from there. Yeah, and he's been he's yeah. been practicing as an engineer for thirty years, like a you know quote unquote engineer, right? So. Right, but Oregon apparently differs in, in the definition of, of engineer, as as I'm sure uh, Canada, you know, Ontario area does as well. Like, I would also have to stop proclaiming myself as an engineer um, once I cross the great borders, right? <laughs> well, you know, I, I can almost guarantee without actually knowing, but I, I can almost guarantee that the thousands of engineers who are working at places like Intel up in Oregon uh, are not all professional engineers. Mm-hmm. It, it does make you wonder, though, how many of these arcane laws that nobody's paid attention to in 100 years are still on the books and you know only only there to be pulled out when 
when uh, when you rub the the government the wrong way, right? And they want to make a make right, a right. make a point. It's interesting. Yeah. And and that seemed to be in this case where uh, allegedly here, so nobody sues me. Allegedly, um, you know, the was it city that uh, county? Who, who was it that he was complaining to? Uh, the uh, traffic, the traffic authority. In any the case, Beaverton, the, the, the Oregon State Board of Examiners for Engineering and Land Surveying. Right. So allegedly, what is happening here is they are basically trying to make him go away, and they're using this old archaic law to to right. sort of you know uses a stick to, to hit him with, um, which I don't really agree with if that's what's actually happening. Uh, I don't think this guy, uh, although he does proclaim himself to, to be an engineer a, a couple more times in the story, it, even after being told by their buddy, hey, please don't do that. Um, so there's a little bit of, uh, you know, flaw on his side of, of the debate, uh, but not so much that I that I think I, you know, don't agree with them of like, yeah, I mean, dude, if you found a problem in their system, they really should fix that. Right, right. Or address it at least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, the last follow-up item here is has to do with Google and coming working in Canada, things that we talked about on Alexis. And I think Alexis is coming to Canada at some point in the future. But um, Google has now um, set up shop in Waterloo to bring their Wi-Fi product, which I've forgotten the name of now, uh, to be manufactured here in Canada. And we talked about um, mesh networking just a few minutes ago, um, and that's what this product is, basically a similar to the Eero router, which we talked about before, um, that... Um, you can have one you can have one router or you can have three and they rather than just extending the network they actually work together to create a mesh of networks so you can have your internet of things devices or you can wander around the house and your network connection won't get dropped as you move from one access point to another so kind of thing and one of the things that notoriously bad about apple products or not apple products but generally speaking devices like iphones which only have one wi-fi antenna in them whereas a mac pro might have two or three um is as you move around the uh, the the network apple kind of hangs or i guess apple and whoever the manufacturers are hang on to the the connection you currently have even though you they, you may have walked into an area with a better connection and i think the mesh networking kind of tries to uh, improve this by giving you you know a, a sort of wider range of signals so maybe that's maybe mark can throw in on this mark i don't know too much about that um what you said sounds good <laughs> well, I do. I do remember from my from my Apple tech training about the the number of antennas. Like, an, I think MacBook Air has one, maybe two. An iPad has one. Uh, it has to do with the size of the device and how far apart you can put the uh, the radios, the antennas. Um, and that's why you know an iPhone has poor reception than your MacBook has, for instance. Right? End of class. I don't know how to. Uh... This is rather awkward for me. I don't know how to walk this back after I just slammed the whole idea of <laughs> routers being interesting. It's like, oh, hey, here's this point of pride. We're bringing them to Canada and possibly sending them a Tim Hortons. It doesn't doesn't really say here or nay. Um, I mean, I think that's good for Canada, right? Like, I didn't. I just assumed they were going to be, um, you know, designed in in the Bay Area and manufactured in China. So if they're bringing right, uh, right. either one of those uh, or possibly both to to Canada, I think that's great. Yeah, and. Uh... Yeah, they claim to be starting at like price of Canadian dollars, which I think is fifty cents American, one hundred and seventy nine dollars for one pack or four thirty nine for three, which is comparable to the Eero router, which I just mentioned a minute ago. Um, but yeah, and uh, it's just interesting to see Google bringing a product to Canada, you know, first. And uh, this is a device actually you can configure with with an iPhone as well. So, and it looks very similar to the Google Alexa, it's a little you know hockey hockey puck shaped thing, which is again going to have a nice place in Canada, right? And when they break down, you can use mm-hmm. them. For, on road hockey, right? 
<laughs> yeah, I hadn't really considered that, that aspect. <laughs> so I'm reading this article. It, it's not clear to me that the hardware was actually designed or built no, in Canada. No, no. They're just they're just rolling it out as a product in Canada. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, so yeah, the, I couldn't actually view the link because it's getting this weird 500 error. So, so they're bringing the product to the consumer market in Canada. Is that what we're saying? Yes. Right, right. Yep. Ah, uh, okay. Well, still good for Canada. Although, although that's interesting. They do mention uh, a one of Google's senior software engineers who also heads up the Google Wi-Fi team in Waterloo. Mm-hmm. So apparently she's a professional engineer, registered, of course, because she's got really? the title. Oh, good. Well, good, good, good. I'm just saying she's got the title software engineer, so she must be, right? Oh, of course. Yes, that's right. true. <laughs> I don't know for sure. Unless uh, it's an but, American article. But she she heads up the Google Wi-Fi team in Waterloo. Well, Waterloo does have a very good, very fine engineering school as well. So who knows? They do, and I, I think um, Google probably uh, stole the idea from Microsoft here because there is a a known pipeline, uh, right, right, figurative and possibly literal. I actually don't know uh, between Waterloo and Redmond, Washington, where there's yeah. just tons of of Waterloo engineers coming over to work for Microsoft. Um, it's probably like a nice little slide or something. I don't know sure, the. Yeah. the the height of of Waterloo, but uh, well, there was a there was there must have been a break in the wall because at some point somebody were spilling over into BlackBerry as well for a while there. But you're right, <laughs> people yeah. getting backed up at the top of the slide and falling off into the yeah, uh, the, the neighboring counties line, yeah. or provinces. Yeah. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kitchener Waterloo, yeah. Actually, thought it went the other direction. That the reason that uh, these companies have large a large wireless presence in Waterloo is because BlackBerry was there and they poached all the people True. who got laid off or fired when when uh, blackberry scaled down no actually i do happen to know one of uh, my stepson's good friends is work has been working in in redmond since he graduated from waterloo as an engineer so as a software engineer yeah so he's he's currently living near in or near seattle at redmond sort of Jaime's neighborhood you know sort of thing yeah, yeah. It, it's to the point where you know if i meet somebody well i mean um you know, somebody who worked at Microsoft and figure out, oh, they're Canadian. Like, even though we are much closer to, um, what's the, what's the university? The, they're Vancouver, British Columbia is closer. And I Vancouver, apologize, Columbia. which, which university is, UBC, is there. Simon Fraser. Yep. Thank you. Even though, in the, though they're much closer, I want to say nine times out of 10, uh, with my anecdota uh, data here, it'd be like, oh, they're, they're from Waterloo. Like they weren't even from right, Vancouver. Right, right. So I don't know, but the pipeline thing seems, uh, Maybe I'm overstating it here, but it does seem like it, it happens. It seems like a lot of folks coming all the way out here to the Pacific Northwest uh, because of that that draw of engineers to Microsoft, and apparently now yep. Google, if, if they've gotten into the action. Yeah, and if I stayed in engineering, I might have been uh, Jaime's neighbor. Who knows? Could so, be. Yeah, because <laughs> when I went to school, and this is like eons ago, and it may still be true, but if you wanted to do engineering, Waterloo was the number one school in Canada for that, for sure. And then you've, University of Toronto or Queen's University, in, in, at least in Ontario, would have been the schools you'd go to for, for engineering. Yeah, but Tim, when, when you were in school, telecommunications was two tin cans and a piece of wire between, or a piece and of And basic was the operating system people were working with, right? <laughs> That's right. That's that right. Back, that was pre-Macintosh days, right? So. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and pre-PC, whatever. Oh, speaking of which, I, I watched a really interesting show, and, and um, you guys have seen Halt and Catch Fire, right? 
Mm-hmm. I just yeah. binged yeah. through all three seasons of that. Yeah. Well, it's really cool on Netflix. I don't know if it's in Can- in the United States because, of course, we're in a different country than you guys are. But I just watched a, a special on Netflix about Compaq. I mean, I knew Compaq, and I, you know, I, I knew a guy who had one of those Compaq sewing machine computers that they first came out with. But it was an interesting story about how these three guys, you know, were working at, at Texas Instruments and quit their jobs and didn't know if they were going to open a taco restaurant or go into computers. Um, but yeah, it was a sort of whole rise of compact as as a business and how they got you know they it was it was very similar story to what you see in halt the catch fire interesting thing yeah that was something that netflix immediately recommended to me as soon as the episode the final episode (laughs) of season three ended i was like oh yeah let me add that to my my list here my understanding is that cardiff electric the uh uh the fictional company in the tv oh, really? show yeah. is based at some level on some of the stuff that happened with compact so that seems like it'd be right up my alley to watch right right card of electric is the company that created that they worked for that made the the big giant laptop or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it was interesting how they mix in you know real life history into that as well but yeah good show if you haven't seen the, the compact thing i highly recommend it on netflix speaking of good shows are you guys watching the season of silicon valley i just watched the first episode Okay, well, no spoilers. It's good though. I like the yeah, I like the first episode about uh, where where your office is located. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, if you if you look closely, there's a a throwback to earlier seasons in what's in the box that someone is carrying out to their new office. Oh, really? Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Let's mm-hmm. go back and watch that. Yep. Interesting. Yep. So, how long has it been on? Like, how many episodes now? Who are we into? Uh, two or three, I think. Okay, I'll have to go maybe back three, check. maybe three. Maybe yeah, I only two. saw I one know. in the uh, one in the the player. All right, it's okay. So um, I posted a story here about uh, which was just in the CNET wire uh, the other day, and, it's, and I've seen a couple of stories about it since. But apparently, um, some major companies have dropped um, the Apple Watch from their uh, iOS apps. Most notably, Google Maps, uh, Amazon dropped it. I think Target dropped theirs as well. Yeah, basically, I think it's three or four retailers and, and uh, that. And we've sort of, even though I also heard that the watch is like, you know, still saying, selling like gangbusters, surprisingly. Yeah, I, I saw this when when this came up. And um, it kind of makes sense to me on, on two different levels. One, in that um, for the most part, um, those apps were on the on the watch were pretty awful. Um, right. Uh, Google Maps, Amazon, eBay, and Target were the ones that I've I've tried. Target's w- was was okay. Uh, I'll I'll walk back on that one. Um, if you created a shopping list uh, within the Target app, that was actually pretty useful, and it would show you like the aisle and the location of where the products were. Um, that was good. That was nice. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't great. And my shopping list isn't necessarily something that I'm going to put in the Target app. I have a single shopping list that I'm like, oh, I'm near Target. I'll get some stuff at Target. Oh, I'm near Walmart. I'm near Fred Meyer. I'm near whatever retailer there might be and go buy stuff. I don't spend my time in, you know, one-off retailers uh, sort of list. So it, it never really, you know, connected with me from that perspective. Um, the other apps were, were just awful. Like they, they weren't really appropriate for the the watch, you know, sort of mindset. Um, Google Maps strangely didn't have like, you know, an actual map that you could view <laughs> while you're <laughs> while you're moving on. It was more like textual directions, which you know, if you're driving or uh, using your bicycle, uh, 
probably not so great. Maybe you could use it if you're walking, but at that point it's like, why, why don't I just use Apple's maps at that, at that point? Right. Um, and I think that, that part of it is that the watch is actually really good if you only use the pre-installed apps. Like I'm looking at my dock uh, for the watch and there's only one third party app on there that I've decided to to stick, keep in the dock. And even that app, I'm like, mm, I think I might evict this one because I don't use it as often. Hmm. So, so I, I, I don't know that it will necessarily become the next great app platform. Uh, and, and maybe watch OS four when that comes out in about a month, will will change minds but right now though. The watch is pretty good with just the stuff that Apple gives you. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And Mark has no comment because he has no watch. I have no watch. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and that actually tells you something, right? I was I was actually looking forward to the watch before it came out, but but it just never really. Once it was out, it never really, um, you know, never really hit me that that it was something I actually needed. So I never got one. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would. It hasn't lived up to its potential. I'd agree, and I, I say that as somebody who uh, uses and wears their watch every day. Um, yeah, me I don't. Too. I've never told it. People have asked me about it, like. It's not a necessity, uh, even for me. Uh, I like having it; it enhances my lifestyle. But it's not—it's not an iPhone, right? Yeah, I think that's—I yeah, think exactly. that's like the huge thing. Like it is actually selling really well. Um, Apple itself, uh, maybe as a little bit of a segue into our next topic, Apple itself has said like how well it sold, even most recently uh, in their quarterly results. Um, of course, we don't have solid numbers, but it's pretty safe to say, given what everybody estimates, it's somewhere between 10 and 25 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, that's a very large range. Um, but I think folks are disappointed in that because it's not iPhone numbers. Heck, it's not even iPad numbers. Um, and, and we're we're bashing the iPad all the time. Um, but I think it's just the level of expectation, right? So we're talking about like how people are so excited about the Amazon Echo. It's like that thing has sold somewhere between 10 and 15 million units. Right. right, it is right. You know, on a unit, a per unit basis, uh, as a device that is even less expensive than the Apple, than every uh, version of the Apple Watch, uh, it still somehow sells less over the, about hmm. the same number of years, and yet somehow that's an enormous success. Like, holy smokes, Apple is uh, leading from behind, as as we said earlier. Right, like okay. this just doesn't make sense to me. Like it doesn't make like I I own both of these things, and I'm like, yeah, they're both pretty good. Necessity devices, no, not really. But I like them. I don't want to lose them. Yeah, I think you're right, though. I, I, for for my use of the watch, you know, I tell the time, obviously, with it, check the weather. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll adjust my, my playing on if I'm listening to music or whatever. I'll use the, the player uh, screen there. But um, for me, it's it's services. It's the big the big thing for me is being able to pay for things with my watch. You know, so Apple Pay Apple Pay is the main reason. But if people ask me, uh, it, you know, what I think of the Apple Apple Watch, I, I I don't recommend it. I don't recommend that people buy one. I don't think it's for what they for what you pay. You know, it's just it's you know it's nice to have on your wrist and whatever. But um, I think I said before, if it dropped into the lake at the cottage, I don't think I'd be that devastated about it, really. Like, I wouldn't run out and buy one. I think, but you had mentioned, I think, when we talked about that before, Jaime, that you would, um, you would want to replace it right away, right? Um, but yeah, so but leading to the services piece, um, there's a video that I posted here where a bunch of uh, experts, if you want to call them that, uh, on the stock market talk about, I think this was just recorded just before the, the quarterly call numbers, um, in particular, Kevin O'Leary, who I'm calling out because he just stepped down of our... Uh, out of the leadership of the Conservative Party in Canada, you know, which potentially meant he could have been a future prime minister. Um, but uh, interesting, his perspective on um, why he, 
backstory too is with sorry about this, but backstory with with Kevin O'Leary too is that he dropped his Apple stock about a year ago and uh, threw his money into Microsoft. Now he's come back to Apple and he's bullish on the new device. But his uh, reason for having Apple stock is he thinks services are, are where they're kicking butt because they're keeping pace with in terms of what the money they're making from services with what they do in iPhone sales. I don't think the numbers are quite the same size, but uh, as far as pace goes, though. Yeah, I thought he made a good point. By the way, it was CNBC, not MSNBC. Oh, sorry. Uh, very different on a different ends of the political spectrum there. Uh, but um, yeah, I thought he made some really good points. Uh, people were. Some people were, were unhappy with the earnings report because the number of iPhones were down, but I think that's pretty easily explained by uh, seasonal uh, cycles. I and mean, this seems to happen every every year at this time of year. People are complaining because iPhone sales are down, but the answer is always, well, we're going to have a whole new one coming out in roughly October, hopefully. Uh, and, uh, and then they get a big spike, and then everyone says, oh, the iPhone's back, and they forget about about the uh, the, the cycles. So, so I agree. I, I thought it was a pretty reasonable earnings report. I'm pretty happy as a shareholder because, right, right, uh, because of the the buyback and the increased dividend. They increased the dividend by ten and a half percent, which is a pretty huge bump up. Uh, and they're buying back. I think something they authorized more buybacks of about fifty billion dollars. I think worth of stock. Mm-hmm. What like does that, that mean, actually, Mark? Oh, so so uh, one thing that a company will do. Uh, when they have a lot of cash, is they'll buy their own stock back on the open market, and that does a okay. couple of things. It's it first of all, it, it it gives a good impression because it says that the company believes that the price is low enough right now that they can't find a better investment than themselves, so they hmm. buy back their own shares. Uh, so it's a very bullish thing, as people say. It's very positive. It means that the management of the company has a very positive outlook on the future of the company. Because if they spend a billion dollars buying back stock, as opposed to spending a billion dollars investing in, I don't know, Google or Microsoft, uh, they think they'll make more in the long term by buying back their own stock. So it's a very positive sentiment. Uh, at the same time, when you take those shares off the market, uh, it increases the demand for shares. So so the share price should go up. Hmm. So it's good for oh, really? shareholders as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's all around a good thing when companies do this for an investor. Right, and raising right. the di- raising the dividend uh is is a is another great sign uh that shows that that uh you know they're they're confident in the company as well and they want to keep the stock price up. So they return some of the cash, they're generating a lot of cash. They return it to investors. And that's an, a good in- incentive to investors to hold on to that stock. And if investors are holding on to the stock rather than selling the stock, then that keeps the stock price stable. So hmm. all around, all around good. And so in fact, you, sorry, go ahead. And in, in fact, get, even even though they had this report, earnings report that was you know in, to some people not not the greatest and maybe even negative, the stock only went down you know a couple of bucks today. Uh, yeah, but then was, it rebounded back up, though, right? Didn't it? Oh, did it rebound by the end of the day? I didn't yeah, was, I, I looked. I looked at the chart for today, and it's gone back up to sort of where it was. So, oh yeah, yeah, it looks like it was down. Let me refresh my screen so I don't get an old number here. Looks like it was only down forty-five cents today. So yeah, basically flat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So what were the de- I, I missed the call or whatever they call it? But so what were the some of the highlights from the 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 discussion about how Apple did in this quarter? Is it just this quarter the numbers we're looking at, or? Yeah, I didn't listen to the call either, and I actually haven't read any articles on it either, so I'm sort of speaking okay. based on, on headlines. But uh, 
But uh, the consensus that I heard was that uh, services were up, iPhones were down a little bit, and I don't know about anything else. Yeah, iPhone was slightly down, but effectively flat. iPad was down. Um, Macs were up a tiny bit. And uh, services, as was mentioned, was up, and it was up like double digits. I don't Mm -hmm, remember the exact mm -hmm. percentage, but um, it's already very big, and growth there is good. Um, I forget where they put the watch. It's like in the other category with a whole bunch of other things. Uh, That category was up. Uh, Notably, that does include the AirPods, but the AirPods also had trouble... uh, you know, sort of getting out the door through manufacturing fulfillment. So uh, it's a little hard to tell exactly where that gain was occurring. Uh, but the watch was called out as something that was selling really well uh, in that quarter. Did they say anything about Apple TV? What? <laughs> I don't recall. I don't remember seeing a headline about that. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, if services become more important, I think it's the sort of thing that makes me think that um, it will be more and more likely that Apple will release this rumored, uh, very recent rumor about the, um, like a wonderful speaker that includes uh, Siri as a voice assistant. Cause that would sort of make sense. It would be like, Oh, uh, I want to listen to music. Oh, maybe I should subscribe to Apple music and have the entirety of their catalog available to stream. It just asks yeah. Siri to do it while I'm, hmm. you know, uh, you know, feeding the dog or washing the dishes or doing whatever it is that I happen to do. It, it makes a lot of sense as like an additional yeah. play. Yeah, and it's it's actually great for the stability of of the company's business because they're not so dependent on the the cycle the cycles of of releasing a new product and the risk the huge risk of of them missing a, a product. You know, say say for the sake of argument, and I, I don't think this will happen, but say for the sake of argument, this Touch ID issue causes them to have to cancel the iPhone eight completely. Mm-hmm. Right, kind of a ridiculous thing, but but say it happened. It would be a disaster. Apple stock would collapse. I mean, they'd, they'd be down probably 50% the next day. It would just be a huge mess. But that's the risk you always run when you have in most of your eggs in, 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 a, in a bunch of, of, of big baskets like they do. But services, you know, just services just kind of continue on. Yeah, it's there's no Christmas season so much for for services. You know, it's just kind of it's kind of steady year round. Um, you know, if if a few people don't use a service, a few other people do. It all kind of evens out in the end. It doesn't depend on people making a big investment on some hardware every couple of years. All around, it just kind of smooths out the the business and takes the uh, takes the cycles out of it. <clears throat> all right, I'm losing my voice, so I'm going to stop talking. So what do we think about this Apple case for the space, the final frontier? Well, apparently Apple's getting into, or looking into um, getting into satellites. Um, the idea being that uh, maybe, I mean, they talked about in the past about becoming, I mean, Steve Jobs wanted to build a cell network uh, for cell phones. Um, there's talk about, you know, coverage for LTE, worldwide coverage. There's, they also mentioned the Facebook attempt to launch a satellite uh, a couple of years ago, last year, I guess, to get a satellite or get uh, internet availability into our rural Africa last year. But apparently the, the SpaceX rocket blew up on the launch pad. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, uh, there was a, a video by Mark Gurman, which I haven't watched the the whole of yet, but uh, there's a story here from the Motley Fool um, talking about uh, but at what Apple wants to do with with uh, internet. But uh, yeah, that's all I know. Wow, that's that's an expensive game to get into um, satellite operations. Yeah, um, like as an example, that that's uh, that Facebook satellite that you mentioned that blew up on the SpaceX right. rocket. Um, that was a multi-million dollar satellite. This wasn't, 
Yeah, yeah two hundred million. Two hundred million was what that cost, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the cases that they put here for uh, you know having that sort of availability and and not being dependent on the terrestrial cellular networks is, is kind of an interesting right. one. I've I've never used like a satellite phone, so I don't really know anything about what the the speed and capabilities would be, but. I suppose in any case, it's better than nothing, right? Uh, it, even if it was, uh, you know, rather slow because of, of latency issues, it's still better than like, oh, well, we don't have any internet here, <laughs> right? So so it's still transformative from, from that perspective. Um, as an aside, it does make me uh, a little bit sad that, that some of the stuff, uh, I mean, I wasn't like working on for very long, but it's a little sad that some of the stuff we were working on was like so far ahead of its time. This was, um, but in 2005 ish timeframe, uh, connection by Boeing, which was sort of like, a like Wi-Fi on the plane and, and more, um, sort of stuff was like just way ahead of its time, uh, too early for the technology, too early for the market. Mm. Uh, that part was scuttled and, and went out of business uh, Boeing itself is still around, of course, but they, they, they got right. out of that business. Uh, of course you have uh, row 44 and, and a couple other competitors uh, getting into this space. Uh, no pun intended. And um, Boeing satellite systems was also suffering because around that time, uh, this was, you know, uh, post nine eleven, so everything uh, economically was struggling, and nobody was was wanting to put stuff into space, uh, which is something that they were really good at doing. Nobody, it was very expensive to buy, very expensive to build, all sorts of stuff that, like now, everybody's like, huh, maybe we should go do this. Uh, it, it's a huge investment, but there's all of this activity that we can put on it, right? Where even Facebook's like, hmm, there's probably some money we can make somehow putting our free service out there uh, in rural Africa and India. Uh-huh, so. Uh-huh interesting how, how uh technology and and the whole interconnectivity of the world has sort of changed in uh what is it 2005 so 12 years time uh everything has completely changed yeah that was before the iphone indeed two years before the iphone would be uh introduced yeah yeah, yeah so there's a video i'll link here in the in the notes uh, by mark german and david kirkpatrick uh oh sorry commercial running i love internet ads Maybe that's a good time to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by Jim Wharton's. Jim Wharton's, where we like to say <laughs> it's legally coffee. <laughs> <laughs> legally coffee. Right. How do I hit pause? Stop. <laughs> anyway, um, actually, the, today's episode is actually brought you, brought you by um, Buddy Build. So there you go. Did you know that? I guess you didn't know that. BuddyBuild is a continuous integration, continuous deployment, and user feedback platform built specifically for the mobile development teams. BuddyBuild takes just minutes to set up and automates the process, configuring a reliable and robust platform to build, test, and deploy your apps. Gone are the days of retrofitting legacy web infrastructure and constantly maintaining build scripts to meet your mobile development needs. BuddyBuild gives you back the time normally spent on creating and maintaining your development pipeline so you can focus on building apps your users will love. With BuddyBuild, thousands of companies like Slack, Meetup, and Firefox are confident in their mobile development infrastructure again. Find out more about BuddyBuild at BuddyBuild.com. Yeah, it's quiet again. 
I didn't know how to interact there, Tim. I'm like, if I don't <laughs> say anything, his edit is easier when he segues into the uh, into the free cast. Oh, that's true. Actually, you know, what I was going to say what I was going to say about Buddy Build before the before we uh, jump into what Buddy Build's all about is that uh, they have um, a poll I saw the other day on predictions. Uh, they're asking people to send in their their links. I'm just trying to find the link here now if I can find it. Well, they have their their blog post about five predictions. First, Swift IDE mixed reality offering. Instant apps, new bug reporting, and a social app. Well, yeah, we've kind of all sort of talked about that before. Oh, here it is at the bottom. Share them with Buddy Build for a chance to win an Apple Watch and other awesome prizes. After what we just said about the watch, isn't that special? <laughs> you can submit your top five WWDC 17 predictions for a chance to win an Apple Watch and more and meet the people from Buddy Build if you're going to be down there for WWDC. Cool. So just submitting a idea uh, enters you in, or do you win by having your prediction come true? <laughs> I, I <laughs> just so I'm clear, so that when I, I submit think mine... I pull the like, rabbit out of the hat. They're Canadians, after all, so they probably just, you know, will pull a, pull a hat name out of the hat. I pasted the link into the uh, okay, chat. Okay, cool, I know, cool. I was going to say, oh, the like easy predictive one. Like, if you win. <laughs> what? <laughs> so you get a plate full of poutine if you get it right. Right, right. Yeah, I don't think they eat much poutine out in Vancouver, so... Yeah. There is apparently a smokes poutineery out in Vancouver. Well, there you I go. I thought it was just an Ottawa thing, but no, apparently it, it's no, spread everywhere. It's way over here. Mm-hmm. They're, everywhere. they're everywhere, they're everywhere. Um, yeah, the only thing that doesn't seem to be pervasive is uh, beaver tails, which you can only seem to get in, in Ottawa region. But anyway, so, hey, let's do some picks, what do you say? Sure. You know, I see Jaime's got 2.6 picks here. <laughs> 2.6, yeah. 2.6. Uh, I've not been on the on the show for a couple of weeks, so I have a, a couple of them that have, have come up. One of them is Increment. That would be increment.com. It, it's, uh, as it describes here, a digital magazine about how teams build and operate software systems at scale. Uh, folks have described it as being sort of like the New Yorker, but, you know, for geeks. And, and in this hmm. case, the editor-in-chief is uh, Susan Fowler, who... Uh, unfortunately, folks might know about because of uh, her experience as a site reliability engineer at Uber. Mm-hmm. I would say go go take a look at that and see. But in any case, uh, my understanding she's working at Stripe now, uh, continuing to do site reliability engineering. And that's sort of the first topic uh, for their first issue for spring 2017. I think there's going to be quarterly, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, a whole bunch of topics here about being on call. Uh, as an example, like what happens when that pager goes off or uh, who even owns on call, which I've seen uh, at varying degrees. Um, I've thankfully not been on call because, you know, as an iOS developer, if there's a serious bug, like, well, I I can't get it into the app store, you know, instantaneously. So it it can generally wait until the morning, that sort of thing. Or at least I might fix it and submit and say, well, uh, I guess I'm going back to bed. I'll I'll see in the morning if Apple has uh, accepted us or not. Uh, and a couple of other things here, um, I'd say, uh, read into this, uh, you know, coming from her background, um, it goes into the, like, you know, when you have tons of engineers, how do you, how do you deal with this sort of thing? And, right. and certainly a company like Uber has to deal with that. Stripe has to deal with that. Uh, but these sort of techniques, um, and tips and tricks, I think will apply at multiple levels. So even if, if, if on call is just you in your bedroom as a indie developer, uh, these are the sort of things I think you'll want to read, uh, entertain yourself and maybe learn a little bit about what you can do so that you don't have to be up at 2 a.m. Uh, when you know that you've got to do stuff in the morning, right? So you can uh, make your life a little easier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can tell you wearing the pager sucks, personally speaking. I was up at during, during Y2K waiting for the world to end, but never happened. 
So I sent an email from the mail server to everybody. <laughs> like right at 12.01. I was like, oh, yeah. everything's fine. Go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> because I could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, did, like, did you do it at 12.01 or did you wait? It's yeah, like, no, well, yeah, okay, it's if the intercontinental ballistic missiles were to strike, they would have hit with a, you know within the hour. So I think I'll wait till 1.01 and say, oh, still here. Okay, yeah, bye. No, no. I think that's when I started the tradition of watching the... Uh, uh, you know, around the world celebrations, because I think somewhere in the middle of the ocean, Pacific Ocean is the first place where the, you know, January 1st happens, right? So yeah, I just remember watching the, that night, waiting for, and literally monitoring the server, just waiting for, you know, something to happen. We'd spent like six months or a year building up towards that nonsense, right? So it was, it was the biggest letdown in tech history, for sure. Mm-hmm. In a positive way, because had <laughs> what we expected to happen happen, we'd all be in a post-apocalyptic world and exactly. we would not be listening to this wonderful podcast. Exactly. We'd be uh, trying to break into a store and steal uh, orange juice or something. Mm-hmm. Right, right. All right, what's your next pick and a half or two-thirds? <laughs> my, my next pick is um, an app by Mohammed Azam. It's called Exchange, mm-hmm. share business cards instantly. And uh, I'll admit this is something that is just recently come out. It is was released in on May 1st, so two days ago, and I've not had an opportunity to try this uh, out in the wild. I, I will get a chance to try it um, you know, very soon as I go to a, a meetup events the next coming week or so. Um, but I did try it out uh, with Mark and Tim just to see like how it works. And the whole idea is, you know, when you go and you really want to share your contact information, think about, you know, what's like the best possible way you could do that. There's a lot of really awkward ones, right? You could try looking up somebody on LinkedIn. You could... Uh, try emailing somebody or giving them a phone number, uh, give them their phone so that they can put their contact. Like there's all very awkward ways that don't really scale. And it can be kind of hard when you're just, you know, trying to get back to the party or you're trying to get back to uh, the donuts or back to the talk, whatever it is that's happening. Uh, This app tries to address that by giving you a simple little template, uh, pretty easy to use. And you can put in, uh, you know, three pieces of content. Like it, it says, uh, you know, sort of prescribes to you, you know, your name, your email address, and the company you work for. That's the sort of stuff you might do in a, in a business context. For me, I decided to put in uh, my name, my Twitter handle, and the uh, address for this very podcast, right? MTJC.FM. And it's, it's pretty easy to share because what it does is it creates an image. So nice little static image. Um, images are great in the way that they are easily shareable and, and reviewable on just about everything, right? So it brings up a share sheet. You could use AirDrop. You could email it if you know if you, you happen to get the email at later date or uh, text it, tweet it, whatever the case may be. Um, you share it as an image. And I, I tried that with, with Mark and Tim uh, using uh, iMessage. Seem to work pretty well, right? Um, uh, unfortunately, it's not like it gives you a textual format that you can gen- ingest. Uh, but I think the problems with some of those formats to begin with is, okay, does this app or does this other thing that I'm using actually support that, right? Like, uh, it's kind mm-hmm. of sad to say the, the state of the art uh, before this app came out was plain old Deadwood business cards. Like, I can guarantee you that if I hand somebody a business card, there are no compatibility issues. They can use it. <laughs> uh, and I think this this addresses some of that, right? Like this this is the sort of thing that like I've I've not seen uh, a, a clever sort of way to handle this sort of problem. Uh, mm-hmm. And I should mention the app does remember, so I entered in my information. I'm you know unless I decide to adjust it, I'm never going to have to enter it again. All I have to do is go into the app, you know, share, drop, 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 and good, you're good to go. So does the app have sort of a wallet kind of concept to hold all the business cards that you've collected? 
No, so it, it doesn't like store anything other than your own information. Mm, okay. Like like the template, it, it's like three text fields uh, worth of information. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And when you when you share it, it, it sends that as a an image. So yes. now, like when I sent you and Tim, like you have that image, and you know, let's say like after the conference or something, you could go through all of the images that you received and then figure out how you want to connect with that person. Yeah, think think how useful it would be though if if there was an app that could take that information and store it sort of like a contacts list, I guess. I mean, it's, it's not too far off from a contacts list, except that, uh, it's, it's in more of a, you know, familiar kind of format, a business card kind of format. And what if anytime you change your own information going forward, it automatically updated everyone Hmm. who has your business card. So you ought to always have the latest information about everyone who you've ever exchanged cards with. That's true. Wouldn't that be cool? Maybe we should write that app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While it has yeah. that technology, yeah, for sure. Yep. Except we've just I announced mean, it to the world. I mean, did you ever use Bump though? So, devil's, yeah. devil's yeah. advocate. Yeah. If you ever yeah. use Bump, they tried to address the same problem. Um, it just like that scale was hard. You'd be like, "Oh, great, I'm going to Bump." Oh, I don't have Bump. Oh, dang it! <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like, well, True. what's your what's your? Let me look you up on LinkedIn, right? Like that was like the next best thing. Uh, whereas yes, here, right, right. I'm, I'm hoping if it's you know I'm at a table and then I've uh, met a whole bunch of great folks and be like, "Hey, here's an easy way. Let me just airdrop the whole bunch of you. Mm-hmm. I can just see you all right here, right?" Uh, in the circles I tend to be around, I tend to be around other iOS folks. So, you know, AirDrop is a reasonable example. But if they are of uh, alternative platforms like Android, I was like, well, okay, let me email you then. Yeah, so I, I have Bump, both. Was actually, Bump was actually a Newton app, if I'm not mistaken, or a Palm Pilot. I remember having Bump back in the day, or BlackBerry maybe. By the way, by the way, Mohammed Azam, who prefers to be called Azam, I believe, is uh, was uh, a guest on Roundabout. He also talked at Indie Desktop last year uh, on Messages, so he's uh, quite knowledgeable on the Messages app. I think he's done a few tutorials right. on that as well. So, right. mm-hmm. and um, oh, I'd be remiss if I didn't state that the app is free, so there should be no issues with with trying it out. Um, and the other link that we'll have in show notes is an ex- a very short explanatory YouTube video. So if you didn't quite understand what I'm talking about and you want to go offline and, and sort of view for yourself, you can do that. And uh, I'm hoping that Azam will put that into like the app store itself, like uh, make a, what is it called? Like an app store preview or app preview mm-hmm, video. Mm-hmm. I forget what the, the technical like specific term is, but That's I think that right. would be really helpful because it certainly helped me. Like I looked at the, the story screenshot and I kind of got it. But when I saw the video on YouTube, I said, like, oh yeah, totally. I'll, I'll absolutely try that out. Yeah, interesting that that because I mean the, what's the, the the standard format for sending contacts is the .vcf thing, which I think came out of Netscape, if I'm not mistaken, um, which is like an address book uh, importable file format, right? I'm surprised. Sure. That, I'm surprised there isn't a way to sort of tack that on and and send it along as an attachment with uh, with the card. But I like Mark's wallet idea. Right. So yeah. I mean. Uh, maybe for future enhancements, maybe it could do both so that you have sort of different levels of compatibility. Um, Not everybody's going to necessarily know what to do with that file format. Um, It's old enough. I actually don't know if it's like natively supported by everything, but just about everything, even like the cheapest phone you could get in the checkout line at Walmart will be able to do images, right? Even, even the feature phones can do that nowadays. So I I really appreciate sort of the the ingenuity here of using a very simple format uh, with its own flaws and all, right? There's no, like, uh, if I were to share this with you, like, you would have to go in and retype that information into whatever it is that you want to save it into. But at least you can guarantee that you have it, right? So it, it, to me, it feels like as if I handed you a physical card, but I don't have to print them out. 
and I really can't lose them because it's, it's sitting in my inbox or it's in my photos a gallery or, you know, yada, yada, yada. Unless you mm-hmm. accidentally delete that email. I mean, <laughs> delete it and then like per- perma delete it when you emptied your trash and stuff. Well, that, that's yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'll admit, like I, I do tend to try to do stuff with the uh, business cards I'll get at conferences and stuff, but I'm I'm not always necessarily really good, and sometimes they fall out of your pocket or something, and yeah. it's a bummer. Whereas this, I'm I'm less likely to to do it uh, to to lose it. But you know, uh, as long as we're spitballing feature requests here, maybe Tim, maybe both can happen. Where you know this principle or uh, this technique, I should say, called steganography. Does that, does that ring a bell to anybody? Where maybe. you you hide content inside of images. So oh, right. yeah, you know, yeah. if you're like you know uh, uh, an international spy, you're like, hmm, uh, I need to send something back to the home base. So, oh, I really don't want the opposing country to know. So I'm going to hide the Death Star plans inside of this wonderful cat picture, and then I'm going to send that, and then they know how to find it out of there. Maybe maybe uh, Azam could do that. You know, like put that same information, but like embedded into like the EXIF or something of, of the image, just so it could be programmatically pulled out instead of having to uh, use like uh, either manual means or OCR on the image itself. See, I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but it, Orhe just gave me his card this last week and like physical card, and he's got a um, QR code on the back of it, right? And I think I think we talked about that. Isn't it? Isn't it becoming a more pop? It's becoming more popular in in Asia, as far as I recall. You know. Yeah, um, it's, it's always been mm-hmm. much more popular in Asia than the U.S. It never really caught on that much in the U.S. But, but it's a you cool could, technology. You could, yeah, you could you could tack a um, a, a QR code um, onto this image as well. It's like you sort of said with your was it steganography? Um, but you could have a mm-hmm. barcode along with the, the the human readable stuff. I mean, one of the things I guess one of the reasons why you make it as an image is so that it can't you know somebody can't click on it and start spamming or whatever because you know uh, robots can't read images per se yet i guess i should qualify that but spammers t- don't tend to they can be defeated by images for email addresses and stuff like that but but the qr code is kind of interesting too right it's another vehicle for transmitting lots of information or a link back to a site or something so there could be an online an online uh, site that you put all your cards onto uh, and you get them in there using the, the QR codes, and then you just go to the website instead of having your wallet. Uh, then you, you can go to the website and get have access to all the same information. Mm-hmm, gets around mm-hmm. the problem of gets around the problem of people not having the app. Of course, they have to make that's a account true. on the website, but that's a different uh, issue. That's true. Well, you also have to have, a, you have to have a server to push out updates from wallets. If, if you were talking about before, if you change your information. If you were using the wallet, Apple's wallet app, you'd have to... Uh, and doesn't Google have a wallet kind of thing as well? I mean, uh, Amazon? Yeah. Or oh, I, I'm, not, I'm not proposing using, necessarily using Apple's wallet or, or any of the existing ones. It could be... It, it would be its own kind of technology. I mean, I don't think you'd want, in your Apple wallet, I don't think you'd want thousands of business cards cluttering that thing up. Right. And, and Google Wallet is a payment system, so that, it wouldn't fit there. But uh, but it would have it would be a, an app that had something a similar concept, which would just be... A collection of these of these electronic cards and searchable and, right, right. and you know you can make notes on them all that kind of stuff hmm. cool yeah 
Alrighty. My pick is uh, the uh, Vault from RW DevCon 2017 has been available. It was available last week when we weren't able to record. Um, and at that time, it was still being sold at a 50% discount, but unfortunately that time is over. So the price is now... Uh, but but what you get with it is uh, two full-day workshops. So two, like, uh, six-hour, I guess, video segments of uh, cool technology, and then 24 uh, work, uh, 24 individual talks, or maybe Maybe it's 24 altogether. I'm just going back to the link here. Um, one of the talks in particular was uh, Rene um, from um, Alatian did a talk on advanced app architecture, and uh, Derek Salander did a talk on Apple advanced debugging and reverse engineering. And that's really cool stuff. I think I talked about him before, where um, last year at RWDevCon, he uh, talked, told us how to you know basically go in through uh, an app using Xcode and sort of take it apart. Like take, you know, he showed us how to manipulate uh, Safari, for instance. Uh, on the dev- on the browser, or sorry, on the iOS device. Um, so really kind of cool stuff. And then 20 f- uh, additional vi- videos on all the talks that were done at uh, RW DevCon. So if you, were, if you missed the, the uh, conference and you want to find out what was going on, these are all written for iOS 10, updated for Swift 3. And so what you get is uh, essentially three uh, large PDFs, which represent, you know, it's like a 300 pages of, of content uh, and all the videos as well that go along with that. So um, I haven't had a chance to dive into it myself, but uh, obviously I'll, I, I saw a third of the of the conference because there were three tracks as well. So um, you'll see Greg Hio. No, Greg didn't talk there. Sorry, you won't see Greg Hio. You'll see Tammy Coron and a bunch of other people, but uh, from from the Ray Wonderlake group doing awesome talks uh, at all different levels, advanced. Most of them are advanced talks, but uh, on all kinds of different topics. So there you go. That's my pick. Questions? Uh, what would be... Well, no, let me restate that. So I was going to ask, like, what would be the ones that you would recommend? But let me ask, what were the ones that are, uh, you're either going to re-review, like maybe you, like, uh, you know, you attended and you want to see it again, or what do you think you're going to view because, oh, wow, I really didn't get a chance. I had to, had to make a Sophie's choice between this track and that track. And I, I want to see what the other one is. Like, what would be your recommendations for somebody looking to get into this? Well, that did happen to me. Um, like for instance, there was Marn's talk on RX Swift was one of the pieces and, and it's just a segment out of, out of the book that they published. Um, Derek Salander's talk i mean uh, it, we we were do, we were doing a team event while he was while the conference was, or the his uh workshop was happening so i would if if you know if i didn't have the team event i would have gone to that for sure um i have gone back and looked at the ui test unit testing uh, talk so i didn't go to jack uh, Wu's talk fellow canadian works at facebook um but i i did manage to go back through the materials after i got back home um so we were at the con. If you went to, if you attended the conference, you got uh, you know the, all all of the tutorials and all of the code that goes along with it. So you could go back through. But at least now you can go back in and, and uh, watch the talks. The only thing that's missing is the inspiration talks. But uh, yeah, so well, it was you know auto layout, advanced auto layout, machine learning. That was the one that uh, that was the talk that we talked about before. Alexis Gallagher did concurrency is one I went to. That was another. That was a good talk. Um, if you don't know anything about Git, there was a mastering Git um, session. There was the good one was on Swift memory management. That was a good talk as well. Fastlane, if you're interested in Fastlane, uh, Martin's talk was RS Swift, RX Swift in practice. Um, if you're interested in, in uh, Unity, there was a quick talk on building a game platform in Unity. That's one that Tammy said she she was monitoring that room and she uh, that was one of the talks she kind of missed uh, seeing. She would like to have seen that one. Uh, there was a server side Swift server side Swift with Perfect, which is the talk that Ray himself gave. 
advanced iOS design patterns, Android for iOS. I'd like to go back through that one. I wasn't able to fully participate in that talk. And yeah, this, I'm, I just rattled off probably 10 out of 25 uh, available sessions here. So yeah. Cool. Cool. And I think it's worth mentioning that uh, now that 2017 is available for purchase, uh, the folks at Ray Wonderlick have made the 2016 vault free of charge for everybody. So oh, have they really? You can go oh, check cool. those out. Yeah, yeah. We'll have that link in the uh, show notes. Um, nice. You know, I mean, since it's from 2016, of course, it covers iOS 9, Swift 2, and Xcode 7. But a lot of the content is still going to be, like, I right. didn't attend, but a lot of the content is still going to be applicable, like, um, say, say, the uh, design patterns and architecture stuff. Uh, custom controls, uh, you know, still work more or less the same. It wasn't like Apple radically revamped between versions. Mm -hmm. uh, 3D Touch is still 3D Touch. Um, Xcode tips and tricks uh, might vary a little bit, but there's still a lot of, uh, you know, sort of basic things in there that will uh, stay constant from version of version so um did i mention it was free i mean yeah can't yeah. hurt to try it out right 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 i completely missed that yeah that's a good that's a good deal too for sure all right well that's my pick okay well i guess that's it for another week so hey hi if people want to find you on the interwebs where would they look they can find me on twitter as at dev with the hair all right and mark if people want to find you mark r at smapsoft.com or at smapsoft on twitter cool and as I said at the top of the show, I'm Timitra. I'm T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and that's the best way to get hold of me. And because I'm not sending out any business cards anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, that's it. We'll say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. And you just listened to the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes for each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. talking about volunteering one of his like, devices for, for that. So it was like, an interesting show. From yeah, it, it sounds like Xcode um, Xcode was in beta at that time. That's right, the, yeah. the gist that I got of it because we didn't even know. And we probably was not that long after WWDC because it was like Right, yeah. Uh, oh, it looks like these Swift Playgrounds yeah. for iPad. What's that all about? Oh, I don't know. Let's, sure. let's put it on a device and try it out. Yeah, yeah, and I think I had I had just uh, I had just tried to build a book and all that kind of stuff, and you know, build a build an Xcode project that I could throw over to playgrounds and. Mm -hmm. no, yeah, we're, I think yeah, because the one thing we were talking about was the play, playgrounds aren't just for kids, and that you know to this day it's still Apple's still advertising it as as a tool for kids, right? So they're not really taking it seriously, even though you could technically you know work out quite a few things, right? Like when I do technical talks at the office, I'll I'll generally build stuff in in a playground, and I might use separate pages. You know, I'll I'll, I'll talk about something, and then I'll switch over to a page rather than having them suffer through watching me try to live code because my my live typing is horrible. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'll, I'll I'll do a snippet and then I'll switch to another page. And okay, now here it is, and then I'll I'll hit the the run button on the playground and have it execute the code, and that way that people can see what's going on, right? So the guys in the it's been a challenge. We did NS 
NS errors this week. Not NS errors. I mean, Swift error handling in Swift. Cool. Which include NS errors because we still do bridging from Objective C and back and forth, right? Yeah, that that bridge between error and NS error is yeah. still a little problematic. It's not a one to one match. Yeah, yeah, and and if you like, yeah, because you get coming back, you get the domain and an error code if you have one, like if you have an enumeration or whatever. But if you don't set the the domain, it just throws back nil, and by default, it gives you a zero, and yeah, so it's hard to tell what what's going on i mean the whole point of the talk was that you, you can you know you can use standard operators like you know um, you can unwrap optionals to sort of do sort of really basic error handling and you, know, you can use if statements and stuff like that and then i talked about throws and throws with try and then uh, throws with uh, try uh, do catch and do catch you know as well did you talk about rethrows i didn't get that far i because i just came off the clean architecture thing which we can talk about later um I didn't have time to really sort of flesh this whole thing out. So, as far as playgrounds go, it's something that we're starting to use for sort of like documentation and or uh, development of new UI components. So, you know, let's say you have some sort of widget that will display like an avatar, a name, and some sort of subtitle. We'll create that to be like a reusable UI component that so doesn't really depend on any particular sort of model implementation, and then use. Um, playgrounds that are checked in and you can view them through Xcode that will show uh, example usage of like, oh, see, here, here's like right. the variations of this thing. And so it's sort of like our documentation that's something you can look at and, and play with if you want to, uh, to sort of like experiment with rather than just sort of like mentally, you know, compiling this thing in your head when you're looking at the code. Right. So do you check these things into your code repo or yeah. so people can look at it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have not had an experience of creating a new one of these. There's just a couple of members on the team that have, have started doing this. And I think we're adopting it as like a, a general practice that we want to do. Um, I'll point out that there is uh, like a XC timeline or something that you don't want to check in. We discovered that it, it makes it it's <laughs> right. noisy and unnecessary. And when you look at GitHub's default uh, iOS project Git ignore file, it includes a reference saying like you know ignore these yeah, playground that, yeah. timelines. Yep. Yeah, yep. they just clutter up your your pull requests and they clutter up your your repository and they don't do anything. I don't, I don't know. Well, it, I should say I don't know exactly what they do, but it's clearly not necessary. Like it must be like auto generated or something as part of the internal operations of the playground. Yeah, for those of you driving at home who don't know what he's talking about, the um, if you haven't looked at adding, adding a git ignore file to your Xcode projects, there are a number of files that you don't want to share with other people. Like there's some, your all your breakpoints that you put in your own code on your own project, you know, Mark doesn't care about my breakpoints, you know. So there's like an exception uh, you can put into your into your file to do that. And same thing with, with what uh, I was just talking about with Playgrounds. And also, also going to say that with Playgrounds, there's, uh, Apple has sort of their own markdown language. It's, I think it's based on markdown, but... Um, for building um, multiple pages, right? So I think we talked about before where you have the sources and resources folder. So if you want to have like a, a data file in there, like a you know a, a JSON file or something like that, you can put that into the into the resources folder in a playground, and then you can have multiple pages and step through, you know, like do code example and step through to something else. And and the, uh, there's a way of building page links that will go back and forth between a single playground running in Xcode, right? Tim, I'm just happy you're using breakpoints. <laughs> that's the best thing about best thing since sliced bread. It is, yeah. Yeah. Yes. That was a little the best thing since sliced bread is for my friend uh Orihe Fuentes or Orihe Ortiz Fuentes who's uh now a fan of the show. I never knew that guy was Canadian. Kevin O'Leary? Yeah. Yeah, that actually the the Shark Tank actually started out as a show called Dragons Den here on CBC. It's been on around 
it's probably about 10 seasons or so, hmm. you know, with some of the top investors in, in Canada. And yeah, he, he left it probably a couple of years ago or three years ago. And then, and then, but he, he was doing Shark Tank and, um, Dragon's Den around the same time. So they must have, and I, and so I'm not sure if his company is, uh, behind that, but he's the guy who started Reader Rabbit. Remember, or not started it, but he took, took Reader Rabbit into the future. You know, Reader Rabbit, right? Oh, Reader Rabbit was everywhere. It was on all those Macs, I think, at the time at the schools. Yeah, that's that's how mm-hmm. uh, Kevin O'Leary made his made his millions initially. Yeah, it's just on that Reader Rabbit thing. So I, I didn't like he wasn't the inventor of it per se. You know. Yeah, I think I think what I'm going to do this year is maybe take a couple of days off, like Jaime was saying, and and uh, and uh, take in the videos. Probably like maybe Tuesday or Thursday or something like that, right? I mean, I, I would I recommend convincing year. your management that like you would not be responsible for any code during um, you know at least a couple of days, and that your team ideally is watching these videos uh, possibly together. Maybe you guys get in yeah, a conference room yeah. or something, well, or, you, or you get on a Slack channel or something, and 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 talk about how this can improve your business, right? Yeah, you got to remember too that we're time shifted, right? Because um, like the 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 state of the nation, state of the union talk, I think is at five p.m. our time, and nobody's going to watch that not i mean other than me right oh but those aren't live streamed only the keynotes are live streamed no i know but and usually stuff no no i mean last year the yeah, platform state was, of the union should be live streamed too from yeah from the, was it? whatever oh, okay, the big okay. whatever the big room is that's the one that gets gets live streamed the, all the other ones are they come back later right so what would have been the presidio back in when they were in in um oh no last year they were they were at uh the at the Presidio, right? In the Presidio room on at uh, Moscone. Moscone West. But yeah, who knows what the hell's gonna happen this year, right? With with where they are in uh San Jose, in San Jose, right? So mm-hmm. I'm is sure that's that a big room. Is that place bigger than um like, is it the size of the Moscone itself, the the, the main Moscone? It's, it's pretty big. It's pretty big. Um I, I don't know which is bigger. Probably the the main Moscone, the one that goes underneath mm-hmm. the road, that's probably yeah. bigger. That's yeah. probably bigger just because it's two giant two, rooms two, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it's been a long time since Apple, Apple's done anything at one of those places. Right, right. Yeah. That was hmm. you know, Macworld back in the day. Yeah, yeah. They could practically build a pyramid in that one room. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Not 100% certain what I'll be doing. Um, the backup plan is, you know, since I work remotely uh, and our team is really cool about this sort of stuff, I think... Um, we'll all be watching the live streams for the keynote and the platform state of the union, probably, you know, in a Slack channel, you know, chatting yeah, away yeah. about you know, our different thoughts on, on what they're announcing. But what I'd like to do, and then I'm trying really hard to, to, to get Seattle to do this uh, through various back channels is to have, um, you know, at people's offices, uh, keynote streaming parties. Right, um, right. Like this is real popular in the Bay Area. Like every yeah. company does it, and uh, I tried at Amazon, uh, and that sort of fizzled out. Still trying with Disney and and Avo because I know people there that I'm trying to convince folks. I, I think for next year, what I'm going to do is reframe it as no, this isn't for your technical team. This is for your recruiting team. Right. And right. I think that business case, like in Amazon's case, it was like, well, there wasn't enough internal interest. 
I'm like, all right, I'm not going to push it because I've already pushed enough. But I was like, this isn't for Amazon. <laughs> this is for your, like, like Amazon's mobile team. This is right. for Amazon's recruiting team, right? And be like, you guys want to recruit iOS developers, right? Great. Well, for the cost of donuts and coffee. Oh, I see what you mean, right. Uh, which yeah. you can buy by the bucket full. Um, yeah, you yeah. can have a whole bunch of them show right at your office, you know? Yeah. Well, I, so, I've already booked a room at, at TD. We have one of our main big boardrooms. And we have the whole sort of, you know, wired in networking thing. So one of us will stream the conference onto our laptop, usually me, and then broadcast it onto the into the HDMI or the flat screen TV and then broadcast it out to the rest of the network and we all watch that together. So and I always have a couple of Slack channels going at the same time so we can, you know, commiserate with each other about it as well. Plus lots of fun. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think Apple only lets the, the live stream go out on a Safari browser, right? So um, uh, And uh, Microsoft Edge, I think, they added last year. Right. I'd have to double check. Um, I don't know what this Microsoft Word you're using is. <laughs> I don't know what Microsoft Edge, that was a new browser or something like that? Or? Edge yeah, is that uh, old Wi-Fi technology, wasn't it? Not Wi-Fi, but... Uh, um, <laughs> mobile network technology. technology. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You watch it on your iPhone 1, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but the sure. live stream is like one of the handful of times I dust off Safari and open it up because I tend to be a Chrome really, yeah, user. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah okay, cool. It's it's funny like you like you get like the visual debugger rolled out in Xcode and you'll get wild rep bouts of applause from everybody in the room, right? Which is funny. It only ever happens at WWDC. <laughs> I mean, sure, but it, it's also like that meaningfully impacts your development life. Yeah, yeah. You know? Whereas like, oh, here's this new gameplay kit. It's like, well, I'm not a game developer, so right, uh, right. it seems cool. I, I might, you know, try it out, but it's it's not going to affect my day-to-day life. Whereas anything that makes Xcode better, it, it makes my life better. So right, when right. they come out there and they say, and now we finally have Swift refactoring, I'll be like yeah. praising the gods of like, oh, thank God, finally. <laughs> yeah. It's the dumbest possible feature. And I, you know, they should already have it, but I will be very happy uh, if and when they give it to us. I wish they'd improve Git support in Xcode. Things mm-hmm. like uh, cherry picking and right. rebasing. Yeah. Yep. Stashing. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah, if they were to bite, uh, sorry, buy like Git Tower or something, and and incorporate their UI into Xcode, I think that would be really nice. Rather than like Sherlocking them per se, which I think you know is still useful to everybody, they just go acquire them and say, hey, incorporate this inside of Xcode. Right. What which tool did you just mention? Git Tower. Git Tower. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I've started using that. Um, I'm not very advanced in it, but. So, like, for now, uh, I currently am only at the point of using it to, you know, switch branches, create branches, that sort of stuff, track branches. Um, I like using it over the command line for uh, selecting particular lines. Well, yeah, yeah, it's certainly a lot easier than than even, like, the graphical form of of Git uh, command line. Hmm. But uh, being able to select and say, oh, uh, I don't want to commit this you know, in one chunk, I want just these three lines. That's one commit. And then a separate commit is these other lines. Um, so the, the hunk or the, yeah, hunk. Oh, that's, yeah, hunk that's pretty nice. Gets, yeah. is, is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I know that folks on our team have used it to do um, cherry picking. Uh, I have not tried it out, but they made it sound like it was really easy to do. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'd look forward to, to learning about. Yeah, we use source tree. I mean, some of our people use a command line, but a majority of us use source tree for same sort of thing. It's more visible, visually oriented towards yeah, yeah. looking at everything at once, right? So I do it mm-hmm. with the command line now. It's a real pain. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yep. 
The nice thing about the command line is it never lies to you, which well, sometimes that's true. And the, the UI sometimes. ones can, yeah. uh, especially yeah. when there's like weirdo hidden files like the way that core data and playgrounds deal with. Yeah, um, and asset uh, catalogs. Have you ever run oh, into this? Yeah, that, that's yeah. a hassle to deal with. <laughs> yeah, uh, can't you run source source tree on top of your um, your get get library mark or tower? Uh, I probably could. I just haven't. Right, right. Yeah, I've not run two two visual clients. I don't think there would be any problem with that per se, uh, because I'll, I'll have both the command line and uh, Git Tower open at the same time, mm-hmm, and I'll mm-hmm. switch between them depending on which operation I'm more comfortable with. Um, and uh, besides Source Tree, there's also Kraken, which I've not used, but seemed like it was suddenly very popular. And which was the one that uh, lost a bunch of people's data? That was GitLab. That was GitLab, the competitor. Right. That was the competitor GitHub. to GitHub. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, so at the, I remember at the time thinking like, wow, this thing's getting really popular. Just like the way that uh, all this weird groundswell of support happened for GitHub when it started to become popular. Um, I've heard nothing about GitLab ever since they really? lost wow. data. Like yeah. I, think, I think they're dead in the water, dude. Like there's, there's no way that they're going to be much of anything as far as I can tell. Yeah. That's a bad mistake to make. 